DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. Welcome to the Donald Thompson Podcast. And one of the things that is such a blessing in my life is I get to talk to tremendous business leaders from all over the country and all over the globe. And today is no different. I have with me the CEO of LCI Industries, Mr. Jeffrey Potting. Jeff, good to see you. Good to see you too, DT. Thank you. Great to be on the show. One of the things that we like to do before we kind of dig into the business and topics and different things is we want our listeners to really know you. Take a minute and talk about family, where you're from, where you're educated, just things that would allow us to now talk as friends. Excellent. Well, you may pick up from my accent. I'm not born in the US, was born in Melbourne, Australia, back in the mid 50s. So I'm showing my age. And I got two older brothers, younger sister, grew up in a very traditional family. Just before I turned 30, I was asked to come to the US to study. And at that time, I was an ordained Catholic priest. I was coming over here to do a master's degree. I did that and I never went home. That's the short story. So in that time, I studied. I knew I didn't want to go home. I met a great friend. I told him I was going to leave the priesthood. And I said, I need a career and a job. And he offered me a job at lunch. I started selling office products to the federal government. And then that company got acquired by Office Depot. Many years later, I was running their federal government sales. And we started selling products that were made by these companies that employed people who were blind. And I got to know several of the companies and in particular LCI. And back then LCI was, was managed and the president was a guy called Bill Hudson, who is a legend in the industry. Bill recruited me, and the rest is history. So that's the short story. And now on the personal side, which is way more important, I'm married to an amazing lady, Chrissy, and I have two incredible kids, Kate, who is 16, and Matthew is 11. That is yeah. awesome. Short so, and sweet, but powerful. And listen, we've known each other for a couple of years now, yep. and I didn't know the Catholic priest part. Like, that is awesome. What a transformation in terms of 
just the variety of things that you've done. That's but right. A salesperson, a business leader, but also somebody that was in the ministry and that whose whole right. purpose, right, is to help people with their walk, with their belief system. And so right. one of the things I'd like to ask, I want to pull on that a, a little bit. As a young person growing up, we all have goals and dreams and, and business. How did you develop that path and that calling for the ministry during that period of time? Look, I think the simple answer is my entire life, I went to Catholic schools. I was very involved in many of the activities. I got to know many of the priests in that school that I went to the high school. And it's interesting when I left high school, I really didn't have a clear vision for what I wanted to do. I was passionate about Italy. So I, when I was 17, I left Australia, got on a ship, traveled 42 days to Italy and studied Italian in Florence. And just as this crazy, eight, by then I was 18, and I got to know some, of, some more of these priests in Rome they influenced me enough that I said, you know what, I'm going home and I'm going to join the seminary. And that's what I did. So that's a short story, but it was a little more involved than that. But there were a lot of people, a lot of people that influenced me along the way. That is awesome. And a compliment that I'll share with you is sometimes you learn things from people. I've learned this new thing about your history, but I'm not surprised, right? The way that I see you lead is both firm and gracious. And that comes across in the things that you do. And so that that just makes sense that that's a part of your history, something to yeah. where you're just giving of yourself unselfishly. And so yeah. that's awesome. So, Jeffrey, as you progressed in your career in sales, I mean, that's an environment that is a zero sum game, right? You make your number or you don't make your number. That's right. What are some of the lessons that you learned in your early career about sales and selling that has allowed you to become a business leader? How did you? parlay one to the other. Make friends, make friends, build relationships. It's very, look, people would say to me when I, when I left the priesthood and started selling office products, I had many friends who said to me, how the heck can you sell pens and pencils? And I said, I'm not selling pens and pencils. I'm making friends. I'm finding out what's, what's going on in their lives. What's the um, itch that needs scratching for them? I can tell you time and time again where I've had success is simply because I made a relationship with somebody. I got to see what life was like from their perspective. And that has something that's governed me. I think my whole career is if you can't see the world from the other person who's sitting across the table from you, you'll never really understand them and understand what they need. And so Selling to me was all about conversations and building relationships and just really trying to understand what's the need behind the need. And look, sometimes it was very transactional and cut and dried. And it was, but most of the time it came down to relationships. That's powerful. And I think in this digital age, in this yep. Twitter age, <laughs> in all of the things that we try to do so quickly, sometimes we don't slow down enough yeah. just to get to know people enough to really be able to help them. And yeah. when you help enough people in business, right, they'll sign the purchase order. That's right. right. But if you are just transactional all the time, you don't really know the conversation kind of points where that pain is. That's and right. I see that in a lot of kind of up and coming sales professionals where they think get the order, get the order, get the order means being kind of overly aggressive. 
Yeah. And sometimes that salesperson that's more methodical that seeks to understand is going to be the one that wins every time. Yeah. And and go from there. That's a great story. So Jeffrey, now let's transition to LCI. I, I'm so excited about the relationship and things we're we're doing together. But I will tell you, just like many in the audience, they do not know that one of the top employers of low vision and blind professionals in the country is based right here in Research Triangle Park. Tell us a little bit about the LCI story, what you do, and and the people that that you're helping drive employment. Well, I love to, I love to talk about LCI. So I always say we're a company that's 85 years young. And why I say we're 85 years young is we have been around 85 years uh, this month, I think. And we have evolved incredibly over those 85 years. Started as a manufacturer, still a manufacturing. For the first 30 years, all we did was make one product, mattresses, for 30 years. And then we diversified. And now we make over 2,500 different products across a whole lot of different categories. So we keep evolving. In the mid-90s, we got the opportunity to open stores on military bases to support the DOD. And now we have almost 50 stores. And that business, that retail business, where we're supporting the Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, took us into distribution opportunities. And we developed expertise around distribution. And in every one of those evolutions, we kept finding ways to employ people who are blind or low vision. And then about three or four years ago, we said, hmm, a lot of our stakeholders, young, not even young, many of our employees who are blind and people that we were talking to who are blind and low vision said, we don't want to be in manufacturing. We don't want to be in a retail. We, want, we don't want to work in distribution, but we do want a job. And we recognize that opening jobs in the knowledge economy was where we needed to be. And so we kicked off LCI Tech and LCI Tech started doing accessibility services. And then we real well, it, it was an evolution that even in the last three or four years, we have evolved significantly. But the message, DT, is simply LCI is a company that's continually evolving. And we will, I, I mean, we will continue to change and serve and fulfill that mission in a variety of ways in the years ahead. So one of the things I want to dig into, because you talked about 30 years mattresses and then yep. diversifying 2,500 different types of products, yep. low vision and blind professionals. One of the things I remember is when I toured the facility in Raleigh mm -hmm. and talking about the things that you made for the military and special forces, the Kevlar vest, tell our audience some of the things that you all manufacture and, and who you work with that you can, right? Some sure, of the absolutely. Well, so there's a couple of things here. First of all, we're so diverse. Everything from mattresses to locks to chemical light sticks to shredders to file folders to make-to-order medical kits to double-pocket portfolios, document protectors. It just goes on and on. One of the things that I really love to talk about is our kitting business because kitting for me is, is just something that's so broad and such an opportunity for us. We do everything from an individual first aid kit that a soldier wears on their waist to a million dollar operating room that the Navy uses where it goes in a 20 foot container. 
So we purchase all of the products, our employees who are blind, assemble them, do the sub-assemblies, kit it all exactly the way the customer wants. We have very exact specifications. So we spend a lot of time finding ways to make any job accommodating for someone who's blind or low vision. And we try, we really have a challenge that no job is unavailable to someone who is blind, other than perhaps driving a forklift or something like that, right? But typically any job, and we have got great success stories for people who started in what I call very simple manufacturing jobs over the years, progressed with training and encouragement to take on new opportunities, get into customer service, get into management. We have very many success stories. I'll just give you two examples. We had two employees who were blind. Their first jobs out of college came to work for LCI Tech. And within two years, both of them left the company, which is great. One is working for Fidelity in their accessibility practice. One's working for McDonald's, not flipping burgers, in their accessibility practice. And these were two folks that no one else would hire. But we took an opportunity, we gave them training, we helped them fulfill their own dreams and live the life that they wanted to live. And that's what it's all about. That is powerful. Now that I understand the mission that is LCI, as well as the, the things that you do, I'm more empathetic, right? I have more knowledge about what's possible, right? right, For people with low vision and and blind and other disabilities, obviously, but we're talking about this this one focus. When a company is thinking about manufacturing and potentially partnering with LCI, but they've never worked with an organization like yours, what are some of the things that you would say to get them over that kind of that apprehension, right? Can the high quality work be done at this organization, right? What are some of the limitations? How would you help me as a person looking for a manufacturing partner make sure I consider LCI? Well, I I know that you resonate with what I'm about to say. It's all about implicit bias because when we started making file folders in the 70s and we bought a high-speed file folder machine, The company, Kemp Smith out of Wisconsin said, you need to send someone up to learn how to operate the machine. So Bill Hudson, the president of the company, sent Clydell. Clydell went up to Wisconsin, totally blind. The owner of Kemp Smith called Bill and said, are you some sort of fool? You sent me a blind person. So this is a long answer to your question, but people immediately think if you have people who are blind doing the work, it must be substandard or it must not be the same quality as another company. So the first thing I would say is we want to work with any company that wants high quality jobs done on time and on budget. And that's the company that we are. And just because we employ people who are blind doesn't mean you're going to get a substandard product. And obviously we look for companies that resonate with our mission. We also, again, goes back to what I said about sales. Someone who had a need that needs satisfying. They don't have the right people to do the job. They have something in their production that they really don't want to do. They want to outsource it. We've got story after story of working with companies where we do manufacturing on their behalf. Right now, I could think of six or seven companies that we're working with in Durham, Raleigh, around our manufacturing plants where we are doing their work. 
we do work for a company called Iron Lace, where we make all of their shoelaces from scratch, package, deliver for them. We work with many other companies where they don't want to do it themselves. They outsource it to us. It's a great, great fit. And all it is, a company thinking, do I need to do that or could I outsource it to someone who can take that headache away from me? And that's what we do. It's very simple. That is phenomenal. And I appreciate the context because that's one of the things when we're, you know, doing our work with the diversity movement, right? And people are talking about diversifying their talent pool. And they're like, but I don't want to lower quality. Well, how do you know if you're hiring the best people if you don't interview a broader group of people? How do you know you're working with the best manufacturing firm if you haven't given LCI an opportunity to bid for your business and do a sample run of your products or however you do your sales process? You don't know if you don't expand that offering to include more people. Right. I mean, quite frankly, LCI does not thrive in an environment that's highly commoditized, right? So if the company that wants to work with us is fully automated, there's no labor component, it's probably not a good fit. Where we fit is where the labor and the product all comes together. Look, even in this incredible world of automation, not everything can be automated, right? People still need people. And um, thank God. So we look to work with companies that really have that labor need that we can fit for them. So last thing on, on LCI, and then we'll pivot to a couple of other, other topics, but tell me a little bit by the numbers, right? How many employees, whatever it is you can share, right? Your private yeah. organization, but yeah. number of facilities, like give me some detail because I want folks to understand the scope of business yeah. that you all, all run. So we have just over 800 employees, about 330 are blind. We have eight manufacturing plants, three in North Carolina, three in Mississippi, one in Louisville, one in Daytona Beach. We have 60 total rooftops. So we have, we operate these retail stores everywhere from Alaska to Florida, up in New York State, all the way to Nevada. So we cross the country. We have two very large distribution centers, one in Durham, one in Las Vegas. We probably do over a hundred million a year in distribution sales over a hundred million a year in retail sales. And depending on wh what sort of contracts we have, our manufacturing can be anywhere from 40 to 70 million, just depends on what's going on. We do a lot of government contracts. So we typically are very busy when the military is busy. That is a great perspective to just understand when you're thinking about partnering with LCI for manufacturing, you all have scale. Yes, we do. Right. Like like we're not talking about something that, you know, people are chipping off a, a, a little project. You can handle very large scale opportunities. And that's awesome. Well, and I'll give you a quick example. Two years ago in our medical kitting business, the government asked us to ramp up from virtually nothing to over 30 million dollars in kits in one year. And we we literally in that one year opened a brand new facility in Fayetteville hired 25 people there. We had people working all over the place. During the Afghan-Iraq war, we had people manufacturing and packaging plastic cutlery in plants, all of our manufacturing plants, working three shifts to keep up. 
So we have scale and capacity. That is awesome. Yep. So Jeffrey, let's now take a step back. And from Australia, you've got a global footprint in your experience. When you look at America today and you look at some of the racial unrest, you look at some of the divide right within our country, what are some of the things that it makes you feel? What are some of the perspectives that, that you have, right, looking at this country that's that's been good to you as well? You know, this is such a, I call a deep issue, you know. I think when I see what we as a country have experienced in the last 15 months, right, to me, it's very clear. It's the logical outcome of inequities that have never been addressed. And you know, as a privileged white male, it's just too simple to say, oh, look at all the progress we've made. Things aren't what they used to be. You know, we've changed. We've come so far. It's easy to say that until you look at the facts, whether it's the wealth gap, the opportunity gap, the life expectancy gap, the incarceration gap. And in the case of people with disabilities, the ability to get a job and be fully empowered gap. And when you suddenly come face to face with those gaps, it's very clear as a country, we have not addressed the systemic causes of all of those gaps. We just haven't done it. And it's come to a head. I think it's a healthy thing. It's painful, but it's absolutely necessary. One of the things that, and I appreciate that very much. And one of the things that you know, I talk to a lot of business leaders and CEOs, and, and when you think about that phrase, business leader CEOs, it's predominantly middle-aged white men that are running our country and our enterprises. And many of them, like you, have a perspective that they're willing to share. What would you say to those business leaders that are afraid to speak out? They're afraid that they don't know how to address these issues because it's not been their life experience. They're afraid of that hit to the to the stock price or that blowback. There's a lot of folks sitting on the sidelines, but have a perspective and have value to add. Well, it's very, I can say this with great conviction because it's it applies to me. Don't wait until you have all the answers. If you wait until you have all the answers and you feel like you have to have it perfect, you, then you'll never do anything. You'll never say anything. You'll never act. And as a business leader, you know, I've tried to act, I've tried to be intentional in ways and sometimes it's resonated well and it's worked well, but people are people and everyone's going to react differently. And so to think that you're going to come out with the right statement or the right action and have it perfect every time isn't going to happen. You have to be willing, I have to be willing to take risks. I have to be willing to take risks. So I can see that there's a lot at stake. I can, especially if you're a publicly traded company, there's a lot on the line. But I value people who are willing to say, I don't have it all together, but I want to make a difference. I want to change. And I have to, it turns, it becomes, I use this word a lot with my team, it's intentionality. And you have to be intentional. And being intentional doesn't mean you have it perfect, but it means look at my intent and look to see what's there, the intent, and assume that I am working from good intentions, that I have the right intention. And I think it's a matter of how you talk and act. That is powerful. And I think, you know, 
when I look at leaders and people, to your point, they're waiting till they have it perfect when really people want to know that you care. That's right. Right. Like it's no one's actually no one that I know. Right. People of color that I talk to that I've we're, we're not we're not looking for someone that's perfect. We're looking for someone that understands when someone that looks like me is murdered on TV. That affects me at a level that even if you can't understand, but you can empathize with me, yeah. then that's a start. Yeah. I, I remember two, a couple of years ago, I read, what's the author's name? Isabel Wilkerson's book, The Warmth of Other Sons. And it's the story of three people. One grew up in Mississippi, one, I think, in Florida, one in Louisiana. And it talks about the great migration from the South to the North and the Midwest. And I think one of them moved to LA. That story, because I didn't grow up in the US, so I, I didn't live through many of the things that you lived through and others who grew up here lived through in terms of, of all of the turmoil and, and the inequities back then. And reading that book just blew me away, giving me insight. Again, it goes back to understanding someone's history and until you understand someone's history, you'll you'll never get it. And it was it was a powerful book. You know, the one thing that I try to share with folks is your personal education, your personal behavior speaks more loudly than a press release or a marketing campaign about how woke you are with diversity, equity, inclusion. Mm. So when I talk with leaders and and I smile as I say this and like, well, Don, what kind of training should I get for my team? Right? What can the diversity movement do for my organization? And I'll start to smile. And I was like, well, why are you smiling? I was like, well, let's talk about your personal development. Let's talk about your walk. Let's talk about your level of understanding. Mm -hmm. Because if you feel like you're walking on eggshells, that'll cascade through the organization. But if you let people know that you're on a learning journey too, that you don't have it all right, but you have the right heart about it, that you're trying to be out there and, and try at the level that you can, people respect that and appreciate that. And I can and I can tell that very powerfully as you speak. I have the opportunity of knowing you and working with you and working through things that are amazing, working through things that we've got to work out together. Yeah. That's how you know someone, right? When you have to work something out a little around the edges, right? But for those that are hearing your voice, they can tell that empathy and that, and that power that you come through with. One of the things I'd like to transition to is we're working on a new project together. Yes, we are. And I'm really, I'm excited about the project. I'm excited to get to partner with you. Like there's just a lot of, of good things, but share with our audience, what is Abler 360, right? And why is LCI industry backing a startup? Well, let's go back to the inequities that we just talked about in the country, right? Abler grew out of that, really. I mean, when you think about it, 70% of people who are blind are either unemployed or in chronically underemployed. And to me, that's an unacceptable statistic. It, it just belies the inequity that exists in our workforce. And so Abler grew out of the need to help companies take that journey who wanted to take the journey but didn't know how to get there, right? So there's a lot of companies out there that have the greatest of intentions, but they don't have the knowledge or the path to get there. They don't have the systems that are accessible. They don't know how to 
recruit, interview, hire, onboard, train someone who's differently abled, right? But they want to do it. And that's where Abler 360 steps in. We help companies make their systems accessible. We help consult with them to say, look, it's not that difficult. If you have the right intentions and you lead from the top and you give the right message and say, look, we're going to do this. We've got a great partner here in Abler 360. They're going to help us navigate this path. And that's what Abler 360 does. We help level the playing field so that people who are differently abled can take that incredibly life-giving, sustaining step of having a job. And so that's what it's all about. It's simple. And for us to frame it in the context of DEI is everything, right? Because you can't talk about diversity, equity, and inclusivity without bringing in people who are differently abled. It's easy to talk about race and gender, sexual orientation, absolutely, right? But people often don't think about people who are differently abled, that they're part of that conversation. That's exactly right. And that's one of the things that I just, it was so simple for me to align, right, with what Abler wanted to do. Because when we think about the kaleidoscope of DEI, we don't want to leave anyone behind. We want to build partnerships to where we all can support each other, yes. right? And that's whether it's generational diversity, yeah. socioeconomic, neurodiversity, or in the case of what, what we're doing together, right? Disability and inclusion. Right. And so abler360.com, you can get more information on, on what Abler is doing, but at a high level, right? Think about digital equity. Think about creating websites and mobile applications that are accessible to all. Yes. Right. Think about being able to go in and, and make sure companies are ADA compliant with their systems. And all the while, by clients picking Abler, they're also creating jobs and opportunities, right, for people that are differently able. That's and right. so it was just a natural extension, right, of what we're doing with diversity, equity, and inclusion to partner up and, and see how we can continue to, to grow jobs, grow economies, but help people along the way. Yeah. And to me, you know how you feel sometimes a shift going on in society. I feel the shift. I'm not the only one who feels it, whether it's in that DEI conversation. It's not just a conversation, right? I feel feel movement, right? And that to me is exciting. For, For many people, it's unsettling perhaps, but that's okay. It's okay to be unsettled. I like being unsettled because if I'm always settled, uh, the status quo just sets in and that's not good enough. I'll give you an example. For 80 years, LCI was all about employing people who are blind and we still are. But it dawned on me three years ago, I don't need to employ them. We don't need to employ them. We just need to create the opportunity. So if I can help companies take that candidate who we have helped become job ready and and then take them into a new career path, then I've done, I've succeeded. We've done it. We've got it right. So it's not about how many people I can employ or LCI can employ. That's not it. The goal is how do we transform the broader employment opportunity out there and working with companies. And there are so many companies that are feeling that shift and want to have a diverse workforce. That is powerful. And what a great segue. 
Jeffrey, I could talk to you all day, like literally, and, and we're both vaccinated and we're going to get back together and, and spend time because I just enjoy learning from you. I remember when we had the first time we met, it's a couple of years ago now, so the restaurant over by the airport, right? Yes. Capitol Grill. We were sitting there and, and waiting and, and you're the, the CEO, big dog. You flowed in right about 10 yeah. minutes in and, and kind of just listened. And I, and I saw you pause. And I think that I don't remember exactly what you said. It's like, you know what? I think we should do another meeting like this. I think we, I think we could get aligned. I've got some questions, right? But I think we can be aligned. And one of the things that you told me after is before the business made sense, you wanted to make sure that we all made sense to be able to work collectively together. Yeah. And that was the most important thing to you. And, and that's one of the reasons we get along so well is I agree with that. Yeah. Let me give you some space to talk about anything I may have missed. Anything with Abler, anything with LCI. What haven't I asked you that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, gosh, that's a great question. Look, I think when it comes to Abler and the work we're doing there, it's one of the most exciting things that I've been involved in. And what I love about it, Don, is that we have the opportunity to truly change people's lives and through opportunity. And that, to me, is the most important thing. So perhaps what I haven't said is a part of Abler that we're really focused on, not just the accessibility, not just the disability consulting piece, but it is training, providing internships, really working to identify people who have never been given an opportunity in the workforce before, help them become work ready, and really take that next step. So Abler is really a full service company that can really truly help companies achieve their goals. In terms of LCI, you know that the pandemic really hit us hard on the manufacturing side. And so if there's anything that I haven't said is, if you are a company listening to this podcast and you, you have a need, please call me, reach out to DT, reach out to me because the pandemic was tough on us because we, as I said, we made 2,500 plus items, but suddenly a lot of people were not coming into the office or soldiers were not training, et cetera, et cetera. So that really hit us. And we don't lay people who are blind. We never lay people off who are blind. It's just, we don't do it. It's not in our DNA. So we, we have really become resilient. And I think this whole pandemic has been an experience of learning how to become resilient in a way we never thought we would have to. And it's made us stronger. And I think it's made a lot of companies stronger, right? You know, when times are good, it's easy to rest on your laurels and, yep. and just be comfortable. And what I've learned from the pandemic is in the good times, that's when you evaluate your team. What, are, what changes do I need to make to my team in the good times? Do I, let's evaluate our C and D players in the good times so that when the bad times come or the down times come, we're ready, we're resilient. We didn't innovate enough in the good times. And now we've learned as a result to really, I think, be more innovative, more growth focused in the good times so that when the downtimes come again, we'll be ready. We'll be more resilient. Jeffrey, yeah. this has been great. Time is too short, but I am so excited about many of the things that you said. The one thing I will say to sum up is that you're helping people become 
job ready and creating jobs in the knowledge economy. Yes. And and that is both worthy and economically viable, right, for the communities that, that you're involved in. Jeffrey, thanks for being on the show. And uh, I know we'll talk again and again, but thanks we for- We sure will. And I am so grateful for this opportunity. Thanks, Tom. This podcast is edited and produced by Earflows. If you're looking for more information on how full service podcast production can amplify your voice, build your community, visit earfluence.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon on the Donald Thompson podcast.